Jeremy Smith here, and welcome to the first episode of the Last Row Music Podcast. Really excited about starting this new resource for brass players, and I do want to give a quick shout out to those of you that have been readers and supporters of the Last Row Music website for the past few years. It's been really encouraging and also uh, motivating for me to add content uh, to help you uh, become better brass players or just to keep you in the loop about things going on in the world uh, that are related to uh, brass musicians. A couple things about the podcast itself. Uh, You can find it on iTunes, and I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. That way you can know when new episodes are posted, and you can also find it on our SoundCloud page. I would also encourage you to leave a rating review on iTunes, that way other people can find uh, the resource. My first guest on the podcast was Jim Self, the legendary tuba player from Los Angeles. We had a great conversation about his career, how he got his first big break, and also some new projects that he's been working on recently, including a new album of tuba and guitar music. Any of the resources that are talked about in my conversation with Jim, you can find those in the show notes at lastrowmusic.com slash podcast one. And without any further delay, here is my conversation with Jim Self. And with us today, we're very delighted to have uh, Jim Self, uh, one of the uh, famous studio musicians in Hollywood and Los Angeles. And um, uh, Jim has a pretty much very impressive record, something that... uh, he has played in over 1,500 movies, and I don't know if he's been able to keep track of all 1,500 of those. We might find out later today. And um, But he was uh, played some, uh, did some schooling at Indiana University of Pennsylvania, and uh, went out to um, L.A. and has been uh, John Williams' tuba player for about the past uh, 25 years or so. And, and uh, Jim, we're really excited to have you uh, today. And um, I guess uh, one of the things I wanted to... Uh, one of the reasons why we have you uh, here on this um, is you have a new recording that's come out uh, with guitar, and we're going to talk about that, uh, but also kind of just talk about your career and uh, some things that you're doing in L.A. now. So um, I guess one of my first questions is um, what got you started with the, the tuba? Well, I'm from a little town called Oil City, Pennsylvania, and... Uh... I started out as a guitar player, somewhere around age nine, and they needed a tuba player in the junior high band when I was 13, so I said I would do it, and uh, went on through high school and did pretty good at that, so I didn't uh, know what to do with my life, so I did. I said, well, I'll go be a band director, you know, and like my, my teachers, and, and went to college to study that. Yeah, and... Um... And so once you were at Indiana University of Pennsylvania, um, what was the, when you were studying there, what was the career plan? Was it, I want to go play professionally, I want to go teach, or um, was it kind of like, I don't know what to do necessarily? Well, I didn't have a, I guess I was going to go teach was, was sort of the plan. I didn't think I was good enough to be a player, and I didn't even conceive of it too much at that time it's uh, the kind of world I grew up in and the, the way I th- thought I was trained and so on was not uh, probably going to get me into that kind of world but it eventually did of course but I, I thought I was going to be a band director yeah I um, it, it's something I guess uh, 
I was going to maybe try to get into a little bit later, but um, in today's world, um, there's uh, it, it's more of the the supply is bigger than the demand, I guess, especially with the uh, tuba players. And um, and I'm I'm 29 years old, uh, kind of still young in my music career, but. Um, What's something that you've noticed maybe differently of getting into networking or getting into the scene, if you will, um, back when you first started as compared to what it would be like today? Is it obviously it's probably more challenging, but um, what are ways that you're seeing, um, in a sense, fresh blood get in there now, get into the scene? Well, I, I consider the most important thing that ever happened to me was right after I got out of college in the middle of the year because I graduated in three and a half years. Mm -hmm. There were no jobs to teach except I think I was offered 4500 bucks to teach in some rural junior high where they probably had fired the previous teacher mid-year, you know, and I thought <laughs> that would have been terrible. Yeah. Anyway, just by, just by chance, I went to the uh, a concert in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania of the U.S. Army Band from Washington. And... Uh, on a lark, I went backstage afterwards and asked the principal tuba player if there are any openings. Hmm. He said, yes, come down and audition. And I did, and I won, and I got into the U.S. Army Band, and that was my ticket to being a pro and to be a player. Okay. And, and all through that time in the Army and, and afterwards, I, I just assumed that there were I'd get a job. I was one of the, thought I was maybe in the top, 20 guys in the country or something I don't know mm -hmm. and but and there were some jobs there were some orchestra jobs and college jobs were starting to open up and so I'd only stayed three years in the army and uh, a lot of guys now stay in those those jobs forever yeah and this but I thought at the time there were there were I think all of us did at that time we thought well we'll get out and we'll, we'll be okay it was just a, a, a hope a wish yeah, and, and this was uh, the Army Band in, in D.C., the premier band? or okay. That's correct, yes. And uh, and who, um, do you remember any of the other tuba players that were in that section? Is it the same size oh. as it is now? Or? Well, at that time, the, the concert band had six tubas, and uh, believe it or not, Dan Parentoni hmm. from the Indiana University, a very famous tuba player, and Chester Smiths, who was in the Boston Symphony wow. for 35 years. They were in the tuba section. <laughs> Another great player, Bob Palanch, had, it was a lifer there. And there were two older older men that had been there since almost the Second World War. Yeah. And so, uh, but I, I played with Dan and Chester and Bob, uh, and I I learned from those guys, man. Wow, yeah. That's a, like you said, that's a, that's definitely a Hall of Fame section uh, in all and, um, and such, so. Uh, and so uh, you left the army band, um, and then went straight out to to L.A. Um, well, you know, I started playing a lot of bass, string bass, and electric bass, and uh, uh, I taught school one year right out right out of uh, the army in okay. Fairfax County, Virginia, elementary band, and I wasn't very good at it. I was always tired. I was working night in a nightclub every night in Capitol Hill for till two in the morning, and then <laughs> teaching all day, sleeping in shifts. I did that for one year, and I just was exhausted. So I, uh, uh, I freelanced for one more year. Went out on the road out of Washington. It used to sub a little bit in the National Symphony and uh, Richmond Symphony, and 
and did a lot of dance gigs and played electric bass and uh, you know played in clubs and stuff and and then uh, we call them casuals here in Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, back east they they call them club dates. Oh. <laughs> but but uh, I on that when I was in this this one traveling group we we played in Knoxville Tennessee mm-hmm. at a club at a, a private club and. I got to know the guys at the university there, and mm-hmm. the the guy that was teaching tuba got drafted, mm. and they called me and they hired me to be the tuba teacher over the phone. Oh wow! Because I'd known the guys and they liked my playing. I had the degrees and stuff. I got my master's while I was in the army. Okay, and where um, where did you get that? Was that a Catholic? At Catholic University, okay. and uh, it was. They paid for it. I never missed a class. The army let me off gigs to go classes. It was it was cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it seemed like it just went by in no time, you know. Yeah, and um, so so you, you kind of uh, were, were slowly moving out west and all. And um, it, it, when did um, I know you? You also are a teacher at the University of Southern California. Um, yes. Did that. Uh, kind of come with all the other gigs or did that come a little bit later uh, while you were out well, there? Well, give you a little bit of a timeline. I was five years in Knoxville. Okay. Played in the Knoxville Symphony and in the faculty quintet and taught, built a, really built a tube and euphonium class there. And, uh, but I had been in a big city. I studied in New York with Harvey Phillips and, mm-hmm. uh, had been in D.C. I was used to a, a real high level of, and a lot of music, good musicians. And I was itching to get out, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was working on a doctorate at USC in the summers. Okay. At USC. And who was the, the uh, teacher which, at that time? Uh, who was the teacher at that well, time? Tommy Johnson. Okay. Who was, uh, and, and he was my mentor and teacher out here. And eventually I had to take a year off unpaid sabbatical to finish my residency for the degree mm. after five years in Tennessee. And I was in L.A. for two or three months. I was playing dance jobs, teaching a little bit on the tuba, going to school full-time and making twice as much money as a college professor. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I just didn't go back. And I, I it happened to be a time in the 70s, mid-70s, when there was a lot of television work. There was a lot, there was room for me, basically, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Plus, whatever skills I had, there was room for me, and Tommy helped me a lot. And uh, I sort of became the next hotshot young guy out here, you know, for a few years. And uh, and that's, uh, and then I started teaching at various colleges, too. All, all the, most of the state colleges around here, the music departments I taught in at one time or another. And grad, as soon as I finished my doctorate, I started teaching at USC also, part-time, yeah. with Tommy. And then uh, uh, eventually I quit each of the other schools and, and was a, uh, uh, SC is my only only school now that I teach. And um, I don't do much teaching anymore. And uh, how big is your uh, studio there at SC? Well, we have six tubas only, no euphoniums. Okay. Uh, high quality, very, very fine players. And uh, I have two, two colleagues. For, for 30 years, Tommy Johnson and I were the tuba teachers, and we taught a master class together. And, and then when he passed away 10 years ago or so, uh, 
Norm Pearson from the LA Philharmonic, mm -hmm. former student of mine, he came on to teach at USC, and then gradually Norm, uh, Doug Tornquist, another great young player here, and uh, another former student of mine and Tommy's, uh, he came on taught chamber music, and so we actually have three tuba teachers for six students. Well, that's uh, that's that's a good thing. <laughs> and uh, we all have different strengths, and uh, but we all are compatible and good friends, and uh, and. Uh, I've gradually cut back to give those guys a little more teaching load, and mm -hmm. I don't have too much direct lesson-to-lesson -lesson thing with the kids these days. I do chamber music mostly, and and uh, but anyway, that's where it's, the situation is after forty some years of teaching there. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting that when you when you look at all that you've done in a sense, um, you almost could say that you're one of the pioneers in, in the freelancing work because. Um, you know, we, we, we've also forgot to mention that you play in three orchestras out there and uh, you four, four orchestras and uh, you're a, you're a composer. And so you're you're in a sense, you have all these little um, things that connect the dots in a sense. And um, it's something that you know, even when I was in school at first, the, the thought was you want to be a, I want to be in a professional symphony orchestra. and That's all I want to do. And then when you get in the real world, you realize, well, there's all these other little things I need to do just to make a living. And uh, it seems like you kind of had to do that same thing even back in the early 70s and, and such. Um, and is that something that's kind of being taught to students as well nowadays, or is it... Uh, they well, the, the, way, the, the way things sort of happened that way, when I was young, there weren't too many what call professional tuba players that were out there. You know, it's not... And the colleges were just beginning. I was—I had really one of the first college jobs that had a, a full-time tuba teacher because uh, they all wanted to have brass quintets, hmm. and they had budgets, and so every college wanted to have a woodwind quintet, a, a brass quintet, and a string quartet on the faculty. And uh, so Tennessee was that way, and uh, and all these colleges started doing it all over the country. And yeah. And then things lead to one thing to another. You know, when Roger Bobo played all those most incredibly difficult solos in his early albums, they changed the tuba world. Yeah. And so all of a sudden young tuba players, they didn't wait 20 years like Roger did to, to learn that stuff. They learned it next year. <laughs> and so things speed up. Things speed up. And the same thing happened with colleges. So now there's every college now has a tuba teacher of any any music department of any worth and and they all are cranking out tuba students just like they are bass trombones and other stuff it is way too many people for jobs and yeah. that goes up the ladder i was one of the very first two people to have a doctorate in tuba hmm. and uh only, i'm not even sure if there were any others but there were only if there were there was only one or two back in, in mid-70s and uh, now there's a lot of them yeah because people don't have jobs, they just well, they just keep going to school. You know, maybe I'll be the guy to get the next college job, but you need a doctor now, see? Right. That's sort of that's sort of how that built, if you will. Yeah. Are your um, your students at SC? Are they primarily undergrad, or is it are they some getting their doctorates there? It's a mix. It's a mix. USC has become sort of a premier school. In so many ways, on a level, high level, and so it's it's, it's kind of weighted toward a little bit towards the graduate students now, and, and masters and, and doctorates. Hmm. We don't have music ed at all anymore. 
Yeah. Except there's some kind of music ed masters that they offer, but uh, there's no undergraduates in music ed. That's why we have a small class. And USC has sort of carved out their niche in the in the West, in the Southern California area, certainly to be the premier music school. Yeah. And and so they don't need to be cranking out band directors like. Cal State Long Beach or Full, Cal State Fullerton or many other colleges that do a great job at doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, uh, I do want to. So the, the kind of the the first one of the first movies that uh, kind of put you on the map in a sense uh, was the Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and and um, I watched it a, a few days ago and uh, realized that this is the uh, 40th anniversary of its uh, making and all. And um, it's uh, and so you know if you can, I don't know if you if you can uh, remember back that far of like the the scoring for that. Um, you know when you listen to the the end of and I encourage the listen, listeners at least um, try to go catch the, the tail end of the movie where the the, the tuba uh, comes in or the speaking of the mothership. Um, but if you can kind of uh, I guess talk about how that came into being with um, or even like. You know, how was it that you landed the job with John Williams, in a sense, to get that to get that role? Well, let, let me give you a, 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 the, the whole thing, okay? It was 1976, June of 1976. I got a call from the from the the bookers out here, the people, the, the contractors, mm-hmm. to work for John Williams. Well, Tommy Johnson, who was his tuba player at the time and my mentor and teacher. I was on vacation, one of the very few he ever mm. took, but he went to Hawaii for a couple weeks, and he was gone. So it was just one day's work, okay? And so he, he, if it had been a long movie, he would have taken a vacation, I guess, but he turned yeah. it down. And uh, so I get this call, and I go over to Warner Brothers. There were, there were only four musicians there. Mm. And by the way, it's not a tuba solo, uh-huh. even though it's the most impressive tuba, I mean, a long, lengthy tuba thing ever in any movie. It's contrabassoon and tuba in unison. Oh, okay. Every note. Okay. And it, Norman Hirschberg was the uh, bassoon player, and then there are two oboes, and they were in unison, um, and they flavor the voice of the earth. Hmm. Voice of the mothership was the tuba and contrabassoon. When you listen to it, it sounds, that tuba sounds electronic or or messed up or something. Yeah, a little but bit. You listen to it the next time, you'll say, oh, well, that contrabassoon and tuba, that's <laughs> what it is. You'll know. There are some things later on in the, in the music. I have the music. Hmm. And uh, 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 where they, they put us on a thing called a harmonizer, which was a, a very early electronic, well, you know, altering thing, and it lighted change octaves and stuff like that and so there's a place where we do play twice as fast and twice as high mm. it sounds phenomenal but we didn't play it that fast yeah. in the first, okay <laughs> well, <laughs> but after that happened uh, they tried to make a few other versions a couple other versions of it Tommy Johnson was on those but but it didn't see this was what they called a pre-score mm. a pre-score is something recorded before the movie is, is scored and so um, the pre- they, uh, they made the movie to the music. 
Oh, okay. In other words, they, in other words, like an A, those five notes, ba 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 ba. Those notes, let's say it was an A flat, okay? An A flat would trigger a pink light on the computer in the movie, and and uh, each pitch triggered a light, okay? And yeah. when they tried to make other versions of the conversation, it's called uh, with Tommy and some other players. Um, it didn't sync up, so hmm. just by good fortune, I got to be the guy that played that on that movie, and it's one of those studio stories, you know, everybody, yeah. you know, it was a break. I got my break of that, you know, like I told you earlier, the, probably the best thing, or most important thing was getting in the Army band. Well, the second most probably was getting this break, okay, and it sort of set me up with John and with John Williams and, and others for the... And, you know, I got a certain attention for it, although it was a little frustrating when Tommy yeah, didn't do it for himself, you know. But yeah. later on, we did, we did the whole score, by the way. The next spring, almost a year later, we did uh, the scoring, the whole symphony orchestra hmm. scoring of it. And three tubas on it. Wow. And Tommy was, I was second, and another man, Ray Siegel, was the uh, third tuba. Wow. That's the story in a nutshell to that movie. Yeah, and and so the uh, so that makes a lot of sense then with the uh, as, as you're talking with the uh, the harmonizer, um, because it, it was seemed like uh, there was a lot of it. It almost seemed like it was improvised. You could say of just it was like the you know fiddling of the valves in a sense. Um, yeah. But uh, so it literally, so all the music was basically written out, and then from the technology yeah. standpoint, it was kind of changed. Yeah. So and. Um, yeah. So, so now, that you have to understand, the music was um, it's almost like it wasn't written out as a as a, a full piece of music. Although I, we had it as a full piece of music, but we did it in sections. Okay, mm -hmm. recorded this part and then this part and then this one part they put on the harmonizer. And there was one place where we did actually overdub, and there's some pedal tones. Yeah. Low, real low A's, real low A's that we pop out and, uh, and some other low notes. Yeah. was underneath, you know, that fast, frantic section. We also went boop, 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 that kind of stuff, you know, underneath it. Yeah. And um, so so that, you know, that movie, in a sense, as you said, it was your, your big break. Um, back then, is it uh, you were doing a movie, uh, you know, the scoring once a month? Every every few months or once a week, uh, like what was the well the timeline on this? The, the, the real work for Tommy and for every every busy player in those days was television. Mm -hmm. Movies weren't so big. The orchestra, symphony orchestra's style or level of orchestras that sort of went into the background. There weren't so many of those kind of scores being done in Hollywood uh, in those years. It was television was a big deal. There were. I remember Universal Studios alone had something like 21 shows every week with an orchestra, mm. with 20, 30, 40 people playing in an orchestra. And uh, every show had had music. And yeah. uh, so Tommy was the, the really the, the, there were a couple other tuba players around, but he was, the, he was the king of the hill. He could play virtuosically for one thing, he could play soloistically for another, changed the tuba in a way, okay? Yeah. Made it really important. And I was just behind him, and hmm. he would, you know, he would recommend me to contractors and stuff. If he, So for many years, I was basically his sub. 
and uh, and he got and busier. And so what would happen if they couldn't get Tommy for a TV show? They'd either write the tuba out, or they would write it for a bassoon or something else. Those were a lot of comedy. I mean, um, cartoons in those days too, Hanna Barbera and stuff that. And then gradually, Tommy was also a, a bass trombone doubler. Had another real fine guy out here, Don Waldrop, mm. bass trombone and tuba. And so I got into that myself. And a lot of the tuba, a lot of the jobs in television were doubling tuba and bass trombone. And, uh, and that, um, I'm assuming that probably has changed now, in a sense, or is it still a lot of guys double? Well, number one, we had a big strike in 1980 on television, and mm. TV has never been the same. Mm. They found that they could get music done with synthesizers, with students at universities, and go to Europe and get it done cheap, and they found other ways. So TV kind of took a big hit, and it was a, a mistake to have the strike, I think, but mm. at the time we thought it was right. But TV, is, that was 1980, so that's 30, almost 40 years ago. Hmm. But the good thing is that because of John Williams and, J and Jerry Goldsmith and a few other people writing Jaws and writing Close Encounters and Star Wars, all those kind of films at the 70s there, these, the big symphonic score became the thing to do for big production, big production movies. And so after, the, after 80 and and through the 90s and into the 2000s, those were big gigs. And I had a lot of those. Mm. And I had a first call for John. Eventually, I became John's first call tube in 1990 with a movie called Home Alone. Oh, yeah. Packed full of tuba solos. And John liked the way I think, I think he liked the way I phrased in those kind of things. Mm. I have a jazz sensibility, I believe. And uh, they're a little bit jazzy. And, and uh, so yeah. from 1990 on, I was his tuba player for about 25 years and and when you say you're his tuba player i know i think uh is it tim morrison is his, is his primary trumpet player or well tim tim was uh in boston okay and uh a great great trumpet player he he came he he actually left the boston symphony to be a studio player hmm. and he did play first trumpet uh, solo trumpet on some movies some beautiful solos i don't remember the names of them but john williams basically encouraged him, I think, to come to Hollywood and he'd get work. Well, he did. Yeah. And uh, he's not, unfortunately, he's not playing anymore. He mm. has some job trouble, I believe, or something. But but uh, he was great playing a beautiful sound. Mm -hmm. And uh, 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 But he was never what I would call his first trumpet. Malcolm McNabb was his oh, first okay. trumpet player. All through those years that I was there. And... Uh, but but Tim was in the section. He'd be one of the one of the players okay. in the in the trumpet section, and maybe second or something. And and then then if there was a couple of movies, there would be a feature where he would he would just just him. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Would get this. that's how that happened. And is it uh, is it kind of like um, you know John Williams has essentially his orchestra, or is it uh, like he has his own like the string players that he wants for his movies, or is it? very very specific on i want jim self tuba malcolm mcnab trumpet you can hire anybody in else years, in those years the contractors didn't have as much power maybe um it's hard to say but guys like john williams they absolutely wanted their principal players mm -hmm. and then after and 
and uh, usually the principal string players and the other people, they recommend other people to be in there so they get to make their own lists or something. But, but uh, John Williams' orchestra stays fairly consistent. Okay. He wants certain principal players, and uh, like I said, Tommy Johnson was his tuba player for a long time. And then I was for a long time. Now, Doug Tornquist is his player. Mm. Doug is a former student of mine. And uh, I get to play a little second tuba once in a while with him. But uh, uh, but uh, I had a great run with him. And that's sort of the way it happens. And usually the older guys get pushed out mm. and in the studio. So there's no no tenure, no security. You're only as good as the last job you played. <laughs> and uh, I knew this when I was quite a bit younger. Mm. And I had these other orchestra jobs, like the LA Opera, yeah. Pacific Symphony, and Pasadena Symphony and the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra. I started turning down studio work to keep those tenure jobs, because mm. I knew when I'd get in my 70s, and I was still playing well, I wanted to be playing. I didn't want to, if I'd just stuck in the studios and been maybe busier during those years, but eventually I sort of got pushed to side too, you know, because of my age and uh, who knows what other reasons. Yeah. But, uh, uh, now I'm still very busy playing with those orchestras and and exactly what I planned and I think it's worked out for me. Yeah, and in the kind of transition into that, so you've, you know, you're in four orchestras and um, for those who know tuba history, the famous Gene Percorni, uh, is is from that area, and now he's with Chicago. And so you've been able to play with Chicago a few times now. Is that correct? I only played one week with them. One I week. Symphony Fantastic, and I think it was 2008. Gene invited me out to play second tuba. That was a real joy. Yeah. And I've written about that on my website uh, that week with him. It was yeah. really cool. And, uh, yeah. I mean, even though I played some very fine orchestras, and I played with the L.A. Film many, many times, there's something special about playing with Chicago because oh, yeah. we grew up, you and I probably, we, I grew up on the Chicago recordings and, and Reiner and, and, uh, and, and Arnold Jacobs and those guys, you know. And uh, just to be to play those three concerts with them was a, a, an honor. Yeah, and, and um, I, you know, like I said before, I'm you know under 30 years old and, and I've, I've had the privilege of knowing about brass history for a long time, because my my father um, studied plays bass trombone, has his doctorate uh, in bass trombone, and he and uh, he's studied with uh, Alan Ostrander, the New York Philharmonic. And so he's so I've kind of been around trombone literally my whole life, and so I've I've known these the people of the you know the Klein Hammers and Jacobs in a sense, yep. and I, and I almost wonder um, it's un, it's unfortunate I think that uh, I think that era of the golden age of brass in a sense is kind of losing its luster uh, just because of uh, technology you know you can quickly go onto youtube or itunes and, and uh, instead of downloading an album you download a track and uh, and there's not necessarily any desire to necessarily know okay who's behind these recordings in a sense and um and, and such and so uh and i know schools are trying to get into that back into that with the listening exam sort of things but uh it's i think it's unfortunate and uh what's what's uh becoming it's the, the whole quick and easy uh um culture that we're kind of getting into without that's the world we, that's the world we live in and for guys my age it's it's just a struggle to maintain it and or to accept it 
you know? Yeah. Uh, and I'm a progressive person. I mean, I'm, I'm open to new stuff all the time. But I don't like to see quality get, get uh, massacred because of technology. Yeah, and, uh, and that, that's, a, that's a good uh, leeway into this, this new album that you've come out with. So uh, you're playing uh, tuba, uh, and you're also playing, uh, uh, your partner is uh, John Ciudini on guitar. And, uh, and it's, um, you know, listening to the, re- the recording of it, it's, uh, it, that's all it is, is just tuba and guitar. It, was there any talk of adding other instruments or adding like a, a, an accompaniment to that or... Well, I've made many recordings. This is my 14th solo album. Mm. And, it, and it's, it's got several jazz albums of different varieties and uh, some classical albums, a concerto uh, album, a big variety of stuff, okay, over the years. Yeah. But, and on my last album before this was only a year ago, I did a Latin album with great Latin uh, guys here in L.A. Mm. And, uh, it was, and that was really a high-energy album and... Uh, Anyway, John Ciadini and I play together in a, in a wonderful rehearsal band here. I play bass trombone and tuba in it. Mm. And uh, he, he's a guitar player. And it's like jazz chamber music. It's like Bach. The David Angel's the writer. Okay. And it's a famous band here. Every, every great player in town has wanted to play in it anyway. But I played in it for several years. And he's a guitar player. And we just sort of hit it off personally, and I, I just said, why don't we get together and try a couple tunes, you know, just to get together and jam. And uh, we did, and it was magic. Hmm. That's all I can say. We didn't need a drummer. We didn't need a bass player. In fact, the bass player would get in my way. <laughs> and uh, it freed me up to be, just play whatever I want to play. It was all improvised. And we just, but we did great tunes, mostly fake book tunes and stuff, but with our own twists and arrangements and stuff that we've sort of talked through. And then we went in and recorded it. And it's the most free thing I've ever done, the most creative thing I've ever done. And uh, I'm real happy with it. It's, it's, it's all the chemistry between John and I. Yeah. And um, so, like, what were some of the, you know, with the. Uh, recording it were there any challenges or advantages that or even advantages that you found with recording you know such a low-end tuba uh with a guitar is he using just acoustic on all the tracks or is he no he's using a mix of of acoustic uh electric and uh 12 string okay depending on the tune we did a couple of chuck mangione iconic mm-hmm. tunes that uh that he used a 12 string on that are it's because he can really lay down the groove, you know, a funky thing. And uh, like I said, he's a one-man rhythm section. Everybody in town loves John. They mm. love they, they they love playing with him because it's so easy. Yeah. His time is is like flawless, and he and he just he's such like he's played with lots of great singers like Natalie Cole and Patty Page and uh, or Peggy Lee, excuse me, not mm. Patty Page, but. Many, many, and he's recorded with them. And the, the, the reason is because he he's a great accompanist. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. so so this was a, essentially a recording where the an accompanist guitar player and a guy that lays down the, the foundation get to basically be the spotlight in a sense. And um, and, and you kind of hear that on the recording at times where um, you know he'll he'll strum some chords. In a sense, and you'll lay down the melody, but then it's really it's really cool to hear how 
you'll back off in a sense, let him take over in a sense. And uh, so it was that kind of, um, it, was there, you know, some of the charts were original charts, you said. And so are those completely written out or is it more of a thing of where, you know, the progressions you're going to go and just let it happen? Well, I wrote a song on there called Floating and John wrote a song called Winter. And that's how our title became Floating in Winter. Plus, we had a big lot of rain here in the last winter in, this, <laughs> in Southern California. But uh, those two tunes are, yes, they're kind of written out, but not, you know, and, and with, with, you know, like the heads, the, the tunes are written out. And in, when, in my case, in floating, I, I, I wrote the melody and he accompanied me with it, some stuff that I sort of rubbed out. And, but he used his own voicings and things like a good creative musician like he is and uh then we i wrote the trill of a, a duo one chorus of a duo and then and then we each improvised the chorus mm. and then we came back to just like it's just these are standard jazz structure you know it's basically uh uh intro a head uh, which i usually play on the tuba sometimes john plays and then 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 the solos and maybe maybe in a couple of those tunes we wrote out some uh what you call them, shout chorus or whatever you want to call it, just a, a little breakup, if you will. Yeah. So, so the tunes wouldn't be just so basically structured, you know, it had a little more interest. That, that's what I hope came across. Yeah, and uh, it, it was um, especially on the, uh, the the Children of Sanchez album. The uh, the articulations to me are, are very precise, in a sense, and it's uh, it's one of those things again where when I talk to my my tuba students. You know, I almost tell them you have to be uh, dancing elephants, walking on your tiptoes because you are so large, but you still have to be so delicate with your uh, with articulating in a sense. And um, which uh, your the tuba? I know uh, we're, we'll get to this. Uh, you used a what was the main uh, tuba that you're using? Was it uh, a C tuba or? No, my my main tuba is, uh, for soloing is a Yamaha F tuba. Okay. An eight eight twenty two F tuba, which I I'm a Yamaha guy. I I I, I uh, um, you know I sponsor their instruments and play their instruments and uh, 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 but but for two uh, five tunes on the album, I use a thing called the fluba. Yes, uh, yes. I wanted to I wanted to talk I to you about that. Invented. It was my idea. I and I went to uh, Rob Stewart, who's a great brass maker here in Los Angeles. I mean, he's, he's a, an artist as much as any composer is. Mm. And, uh, and he, I says, hey, can you make me a tuba-sized flugelhorn? <laughs> and so he, he loves challenges like that. So I basically commissioned him, just like I would commission somebody to write a piece of music. You know, I commissioned him to write a, build an instrument for me. And yeah. I, he's built several instruments for me, by the way. But but this came out great. He took basically took an old E flat Yamaha valve set, like from an old tube. I don't know how long it was old, but a compensating set. And then he uh, he cut it down to F, the, the length from E flat. Cut all the slides down to F. Okay. And then he put a, a small F tuba bell, Yamaha F tuba bell, on it. I mean. Uh, yeah, and then, but he built the rest. He built the taper, basically, and it's beautiful. It's just it's it's a work of art. Yeah, and I I, I put his name up, I engraved his name on it, and all that stuff because I want you know to me it's a work of art, mm -hmm. and it plays great. It's really fun, man. Yeah, 
And uh, so I'm assuming a tuba mouthpiece on, will be used? I just use my regular tuba mouthpiece on it. It's, it is an F, so it's just like playing, picking up an F tuba in a way, mm. but uh, the sound goes out to the audience when you play live. And uh, it, when you're in recording, you're playing into a microphone either way, whether yeah. the bell is up on a tuba or whether it's out front. So it's a little hard to maybe distinguish the difference between them because I sound somewhat similar probably on anything I would play. But uh, in a live situation, the fluba goes out, and you would probably appreciate this being a symphony musician and everything. Two or three years ago, we did Petrushka with the Pacific Symphony. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first rehearsal, I sort of clammed the bear solo a little bit. I went home and was a little mad at myself, and I, so I had my fluba sitting there, and I just tried it, it was flawless. Hmm. But we had a guest conductor, and the, you know the way guest conductors are, they want to be called back, they want you to like them. So oh, I yes. said, would you mind if I tried this on this horn? And he said, okay. I played the bear solo on my flugo at the Pacific Symphony for wow. four concerts and a couple more rehearsals after that, and it went for the best I've ever played it. And, and the sound went out to the audience. Yeah. And, and I got so many compliments. Not, and I'm from people that matter, like the, the guy that runs the symphony, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the principal brass players and other stuff like that. So we're doing yeah. it again this spring. So I, but Carl St. Clair, our regular conductor, is uh, going to be conducting. And I'm not sure he'll let me do it. But <laughs> he likes the fluba, but we'll see. Yeah. I'll, I'll play it one way or another. Yeah, and it's... Uh... So and we'll um, I'll definitely on I'll definitely put a picture up on the uh, website of it because it's it really is like you said it's a work of art if you were to put it in a a corner of a room you know it, it, that's what it, it's an art piece a conversation piece so it's uh, yeah and um, so what what have you uh, do you ever find challenges with you know when you were when you do studio work then symphonic work and then chamber work do you ever uh, find challenges with kind of putting on the different caps or is it more of a you just play pretty much the latter I I try not to put any barriers up when I was young and it seemed that there was a classical world and there was a commercial world mm -hmm. jazz world or whatever and you couldn't cross over a trumpet player it's, it's still sort of that way for trumpet players and trombone players more, I'd say, than certain. But tuba players have to cross over. There aren't that many jobs, you know. you got a, a good studio musician has to be able to play like, like Dixieland or whatever you might be called for, you know. You might be called to play on the play on albums with uh, Randy Newman and with, uh, with uh, Weird Al Yankovic and people <laughs> like that where I'm kind of playing bass line parts sometimes and almost like I was playing Dixieland, you know. And, polka yeah. music and you gotta be able to do that so but I think music is music hmm. intonation you're either in tune or you're out of tune rhythm yeah. is rhythm I mean you, like you mentioned the precision in uh, playing in uh, Children's Sanchez well I'm a classical trained player okay I can double tongue and do all <laughs> the other stuff that other cats do you know uh, I happen to have a jazz sensibility and a love of it yeah. so I, I, I try to become a better improviser. I, I, I understand the feels and the rhythms of jazz. I've played many years as a bass player. I know, I've listened to so many people and envy them. Yeah. And uh, I really, when I play that fluba or the tuba, I want to be a art farmer or a, 
uh, Clark Terry. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I want to. I want to have that freedom to play the notes I hear in my head. You know? Yeah. On, it, but on my register, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you've mentioned uh, obviously Tommy Johnson and then uh, Art Farmer and Clark Terry. Are there other, are there any uh, non-brass inspirations that you find uh, that you try to emulate? Oh, yeah, or? well, uh, yes, many, many. I, I've been lucky to be the tuba player at the LA Opera since uh, it began, really, mm. in 1986. And uh, uh, I, we work with Lucido Domingo. He's uh, uh, one of our, he, he sort of is a general director of some sort with the orchestra. He has been forever since it began. Mm -hmm. I heard him, and so he and other great singers I've heard many times. We did the Ring Cycle one time. I mean, I've just put and and so singers and the way they phrase and the great singers. I mean, they 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 the way they deal with pitch and vibrato and every other musical element. It, it rubs off on me, and I'm trying somehow to have my own little unique solo voice on the tuba, which is, uh, and not just as a classical player, although I've done a lot of it in my life, many recitals and many other things, and some recording classically, and uh, I, I don't consider myself a virtuoso classical tuba soloist, mm -hmm. but I've done enough of it, and enough of the, you know, the tough stuff to, to you know, get a sergeant stripes or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And um, so, you know, what's uh, for you right now? What's what's keeping the musical creativity flowing um, for you? Like, what are the, the? How are you still trying to challenge yourself? I guess musically. Well, I I, I say this to other people too, and I, I don't know whether it means much, but I I'm kind of what I call a musicolic, mm. and it's all I do. I mean, I, I get up in the morning and I spend every day writing music, <clears throat> working on jazz, uh, uh, communicating maybe with people like you or whatever, just getting the world out, making my albums. Uh, I've been composing a lot in recent years. It's a, a mistake that I try not to let my students make of, of waiting. I wanted, should have done it when I was 20, mm. but I didn't start writing until I was 50, almost mm. 50. Now I have about 60 pieces, including a, piece, a, piece, a terrific piece for orchestra that I've done for band and went up that brass band and a wind ensemble, yeah. And uh, a lot of chamber music. And by the way, some really cool bass trombone parts, okay? Oh, okay. Really cool. I'll have to look into those. A piece, piece for uh, Norm Pierce at the LA Phil for solo tube and four trombones. Okay. Bass trombone part is the real low instrument, and, and boy, does he get a great straight up. Jeff Reynolds did the premiere of that. Mm. So, anyway. Yeah. Um, so, what uh, uh, are, uh, what uh, films have you done recently? I think I heard you you did Finding Dory. Is there anything recent? I did Finding Dory uh, last year. I guess I did that uh, uh, bridge bridge. Something about uh, I can't remember. It was, hmm. it was about about the Cold War in, in Berlin. Uh, the bridge bridges. Something about bridges. I can't okay. remember. So. Uh, I haven't. My my studio career is wound down. I'm not doing much. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
I did a Simpsons show not too long ago, which the tuba and bass trombone, and that unfortunately that show after thirty some thirty years or so is they they fired the Alf Clausen, and they're going to start with the thirty five musicians working every week for all those years, hmm. and they're going to lose their jobs. And uh, they didn't use the tuba, bass trombone all the time, but I got to do a few a few of them over the years, hmm. and uh, so but I. I worked a little bit on Star Wars 7 and uh, 8 and a fair amount on Star Wars 7, a second tuba. And uh, occasionally I get, uh, oh, Bridges of Spies. Yeah, was I was going to bring that up, Bridge of Spies, yeah. Yeah, and that was that was a, a good movie. And uh, and so, you know, I, I'm, the, the, Doug Dornquist is sort of the new hotshot guy around here. And uh, mm-hmm. there's some other guys that are playing too. Most of them studied with me at one time or another, so yeah. I'm proud of them, and they're great players. And uh, I'm uh, so my studio career is comfortably on the side, if you mean, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and um, and so uh, let's say let's say I see the movie Bridge of Spies, and I'm a 18 year old kid that I, I hear the soundtrack, and I'm thinking, man, I want to do that. Um, what do I do? <laughs> how do I, like, like how do I, uh, you know, I, I, I tell myself, I find out, okay, studio musicians are the guys that produce this or, you know, Force Awakens movies and, and such. And, and it's like, okay, how do I, in this day and age, try to get to that point or at least get to that? What, what would be some advice you'd give? Well, that's a tough one, and it's it's and I face it all the time with my own students. And uh, number one, by the way, on my on my website I have a, some articles page, and there's I wrote I wrote about this. It's called the Studio Tubist, I think. Mm-hmm. Originally written for the uh, Instrumentalist magazine when Harvey Phillips was uh, was editing it. Okay, but um, uh, and I've updated it too. I mean, I wrote it and then. 15 years later, I updated it to what it probably needs re-updating again, you know, to mm. what the current scene is in L.A. But uh, what I say in there, be, be it, number one, the brass players have to be really good classical players in the, in the movies business. Now, I'm not talking about some movies where you have to be a Dixieland player or something like that, but most movies are that use big orchestras and that would have a tuba are going to be more symphonic kind of an orchestra with a lot of strings and and woodwinds and brass and percussion. Some of them are huge with many trombones and many horns and stuff like that. Uh, anyway, be a very good classical player. So I would say become just as good as you can. I mean, this, learn all the tough literature, play recitals, play a lot of chamber music, learn to read. You have to read like a hawk. I mean, you, you have to understand rhythms and not just understand them. You have to put a note where it belongs. If you're playing in a movie set, uh, score and you and you know you know the way low brass parts are. There's a lot of bars out, a lot of counting, and a lot of. But if you say you sit for 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 twenty bars and all of a sudden you have one loud note, it happens to be the second sixteenth note of a group of four sixteenth notes, and it's fortissimo, short, <laughs> something like that. If you put that in the wrong place, and all yeah. the other guys are at the right place, 
Well, you hear it immediately, of course, and somebody's in the booth and saying, that's not a very good tuba player, or let's get mm. somebody else tomorrow, you know what I mean? Yeah. You really can't make mistakes. They're not, an older guy maybe that's been around can, can get by with a mistake and then they'll make another take or something like that. But a young guy, I say, be prepared to read anything, okay? And then besides being a good classical player, people who do my work also are versatile in the sense of styles. And I've learned, maybe partially because I was a bass player a lot, I learned Latin music, I learned bossa novas, I learned rock and roll, I learned uh, all kinds of stuff, jazz, uh, country music, uh, Dixieland, polkas, all kinds, every style you can imagine could come up on a session. And so you have to have a broader palette than just being a good symphonic player. Mm -hmm. Although I would say being a good classical player, getting the education, studying, doing recitals is the basis for a tuba. Mm. A trumpet player and maybe a trombone player, at least a tenor player, they sometimes can get put into the jazz commercial side more than the classical side. But the guys that are the very best studio musicians, the ones that do most of the work, guys like and trombone, I mean like Bill Booth and mm -hmm. Alex Isles and Bill Reichenbach and stuff like that, they are superb classical players as well as superb jazz musicians. I mean, they're, you know, there's some cats like that in New York too, of course, you know, right. but it's, it's, it's fairly rare. So I would say prepare for those things too. How do you prepare for them? You just got to get experiences, just play with people, being open to it. It's, it's not, and this, this is not like an audition job, you know, you have a symphony to get in the studios, but it's probably harder just to get a break. And often it takes 15, 20 years before you, you get a break, you know, and then what that break might lead to lots of work and what, maybe it's only one job, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, is there anything uh, musically that uh, you either haven't done yet or that you're looking forward to in the future? You said um, you're doing a Petrushka again. Uh, is there... Anything that's on the horizon, I guess, coming up soon, musically? Well, you know, I've become, uh, I told you I used to teach at the University of Tennessee, mm -hmm. and uh, I've reconnected with them. I was never a student there, but I've reconnected with them, and I've endowed some scholarships, including a brass quintet, mm. and I, I've become involved with them, okay? I, I want to give something back, and uh, they've invited me to do a, a week residency there in February. Okay that I'm very excited about. Uh, I think it begins the 19th of February for a whole week. And they're, the whole school is going to be playing my music. It's going to be concerts of my stomach chamber music. The, the wow. band's going to play my big, or my big, big band piece. And I'm going to play a jazz concert with the faculty guys. And, hmm. and that's exciting. Yeah. That, that, that's a, and uh, I think I had, I had watched an interview you did with uh, Michael Davis. And yes. you talked about... Uh, the philanthropy that you are doing and uh and that to me that's that's an important thing for sure um it's very easy i guess for people to kind of hold on to things and and, and yeah. what you what's really awesome about what you're doing it really is awesome is that you are in a sense leaving that legacy to allow others to kind of what well, in a sense what we talked about here in the sense of you are you know sharing your wisdom your advice and tips 
on how to make music a career just like you've had? Well, I, I, again, I've decided years ago that, you know, I don't have children. I have mm-hmm. some stepchildren and I've helped with them, but, but I have a home in LA that I was lucky to profit by the inflation we had over the last 40 years and yeah. some valuable in- investments. Okay. And, uh, I've done very well on my own. I, I did, I, I, I traveled, I've done most of what I wanted to do to, you know, and my wife and I decided to, to, uh, focus on a few things. My alma mm-hmm. mater in Indiana, Pennsylvania, I've done the same thing there. I've, I've, uh, I've endowed a, a brass quintet, a student brass quintet scholarship, five of them, plus a tuba scholarship. Mm-hmm. I've done that in Tennessee. I'm uh, trying to identify a few other things I might do as I go on. I, I help the uh, International Tube Euphonium Association fair amount. I'm trying to help them build their endowment. So the, I do, I, I think things like this, I've seen so many successful studio musicians and symphony players that have made pretty darn good livings. I don't know. They, they don't, they may leave stuff in their will to people. Yeah. And they may, uh, but they, they're not so active in it in their lifetime, you yeah. know. And I guess probably everybody's afraid of giving it away and then not something, emergency would happen and you need it, you know. Yeah. But I, I feel the philanthropy should be done. Uh, if, I, I get something out of it. I wouldn't, if I was dead, I wouldn't get anything out of it. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, it's the whole uh, adage of it's better to give than to receive and and you get something out of it when you give, in a sense. And, uh, you do, and, and and so I don't mean to brag about that or anything, but it's 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 important to my wife and I to be a, and we've identified this the world of the tuba players to be sort of and brass players to be focused on that. Others other people can focus on their their charities or whatever they want to do or their religious things or whatever they want to yeah, do. Yeah. Yeah. For me, this is a way to be helpful and to do it while I'm still healthy enough to share in their joy. Yeah. Like these kids from the University of Tennessee and and, and from Indiana, these plays in these quintets. Most every year I get little letters from them telling me how much they, they, they appreciate uh, my help and how a real intense quintet of, of their of the best players in the school inspires them to play. Mm. And uh, that was the idea, is to have a a, 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 a hot hot quintet at those schools, you know. And they go out and they play and they they, they do things for the school. Yeah. And uh, I've written a lot of brass quintet music, too, because I coached brass quintets for 40 years. Okay. At USC, and I, I've written several brass quintets. In fact, I'm getting hopefully. I think my next recording project is going to be um, recording. I have almost an hour's worth of brass quintet music. Mm, wow! Yeah. If I record that all on one CD, I'm not sure I would want to listen to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, um, that's. Uh, I mean, that'd be a real a treat to hear again. And just you know, you have. You know, so you've had 14 CDs come out and stuff, and uh, you've had this just incredible career in a sense, uh, and uh, it's a very versatile career. And uh, and then you throw throw on top of that the uh, the giving back to the next generation. It, it's a it's a really great um, 
a great thing. I mean, it's inspiring for me as a listener, even, you know, it's something I think about as a, you know, 29 year old to, to start giving back now, even, um, just to, you know, it's a legacy that you leave behind in a sense. Um, and we're, uh, we're kind of wrapping up here uh, close to the hour mark. Is there, um, any, anything else, I guess, that you want to, to plug or to any parting words of wisdom that you'd want to give? Well, no, you know, I, you asked me what the future is. I'm 74 years old. Hmm. Uh, I'm healthy. I swim every day. I hope to have a good bit longer life. I have a, a couple, one good project. I'm not free to announce right now, but it's, <laughs> it's a, a really cool project coming up that I've commissioned a, a major piece of tuba, tuba solo hmm. piece. But uh, I'm... Well, in some ways, I've got time and energy to just, I can just sort of follow my dream, you know what I mean? And see, I want to make more, particularly get better as a jazz musician. That's mm. that's my from my classical aim. Mm. You know, I, I, in fact, it strengthens my chops. As long as I don't overdo it and wipe myself out by just playing the super high notes all the time or something, or never resting, uh, it really makes my embouchure strong. And when I go to the symphony rehearsal, I'm, I'm really, I'm good. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I mean, I feel confidence that maybe a much younger person might think about, but as long as I'm healthy and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, and uh, uh, with the progressive mind that I think I have, I'm going to keep adding to the list of recordings and uh, hopefully live performances and uh, those kind of things. And yeah. teaching some, a little bit of teaching. Yeah. Um, well, that that's uh, that, that's great. And uh, you know, for our listeners, uh, we'll include. Um, in the, the, the article and in the, in the episode just links to uh, his website, uh, jimself.com, and uh, pictures of the Fluba, and also acts or ways that you can get a hold of this new recording. Uh, it's a really great recording. Um, it, it's, it's one of those things you don't hear often, a tuba and guitar playing together, and uh, it's definitely something to listen to uh, and get inspired by to kind of go out and create uh, a, new, um, a new ensemble maybe. Uh, or just finding someone to get together with. So, uh, Jim, we're really delighted uh, to have you. Uh, again, as I said before, it's a real honor to speak with you, and uh, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing uh, what the new projects are. And um, uh, stay on, and uh, uh, listeners, uh, look, look for more um, recordings or interviews that we'll have here. And uh, thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Any of the resources that you heard Jim and I talk about, you can find them at lastrowmusic.com slash podcast1. Uh, you can visit Jim Self's website also at jimself.com. There you can find solo albums as well as some articles that he's published throughout his career. Really appreciate you listening to this first episode. You can subscribe to it on iTunes, and you can also find it on our SoundCloud page. And we just encourage you to share it with uh, your friends and family just to get the word out about a new podcast. Again, this is Jeremy Smith signing off from Last Row Music, the online resource for brass musicians. <laughs> <laughs>